Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Torah Today Ministries and our series called The Hebrew Key, where I take a thought or a word in the Hebrew Scriptures, a concept, and expand it out to see what kind of insights it uh, has to afford us and, um, and also give us an idea of how the rabbis of the ages have engaged with the Hebrew Scriptures. And this week's episode is called The Hebrew Key, a false wilderness. A false wilderness. What does that mean? Well, I want us to first of all learn a Hebrew word that's going to be familiar to many of you, and that's the word davar. The word davar. Now, if you are listening to this uh, on a podcast while you're driving the car or, or walking the neighborhood um, or at the gym, then make sure that you download the notes. Go to our website tortodayministries.org and you can print out the notes and see the words that I'm pointing out. But in the meantime, you can just listen, follow along. And this is also one of those teachings you may want to go back and do again, because once you hear the end of the teaching, the beginning of the teaching will also make more sense. Here's the word devar, dalit, bait, resh, and it is the word that means word. A devar is a word. And if we pronounce the word deber, it means speak. So I could have also put the word speak there. So as a noun, it's a word. As a verb, it's speak. In fact, the first uh, sentence in Deuteronomy gives us the Hebrew name of the book of Deuteronomy, which is devarim, the plural of words. Here you can see the opening part of verse 1 of Deuteronomy. And I will underline as we go. Ela hadvarim. These are the words. A hey at the beginning of a word means the. And there you can see davar. Dalit bait resh. The im on the end makes it plural. Like a cherub is an angel, a cherubim. There are several cherubs. Ela hadvarim asher diber. Which he spoke. Deber means spoke. And there you see the same three letters. Who spoke? Moshe, El, Kol, Yisrael. Moses to all Israel. So twice here in the opening words of Deuteronomy 1, we uh, find this word in both its noun form and in its verb form. And again, the word, uh, the, the Hebrew name of the book of Deuteronomy is Devarim based on that second word there. Now, something interesting happens if we add a letter to the word devar. And here we have it. When you add the letter mem to the front, we get the word midbar. And midbar is the Hebrew word for wilderness. As I'm doing this teaching, we are in the Torah cycle where we are in the middle of the book of Numbers. And what a horrible name for a Bible book that is. Who wants to call a Bible book Numbers? Who wants to read that? But that is not its name in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's called Bimidbar, which means in the wilderness, because Midbar means wilderness. Let's take a look. Here we have the opening words of the book of Numbers. And here we see again our word deber, vaidber, which means and he spoke. Who did? Yadhe vavhe, Adonai. Who did he speak to? 
El Moshe to Moses by the bear Adonai El Moshe. And Adonai spoke to Moses. Where did he speak to him? Ba means in Midbar. In the Midbar in the wilderness of Sinai. So again, we see the word deber, the verb, but we see it as part of the word for wilderness. Now, I believe, as Yeshua said, every jot and tittle is hand-designed by God and placed by God and that he inspired the writers of the, the Torah and the, uh, and the conversations in the Torah. There's only one writer, that's Moses. But I believe he inspired him to place every letter as he did. And every letter has purpose and has meaning. And that the jots and tittles will not pass away from the Torah till everything's fulfilled. And so if God has at the root of the word for wilderness, the word for word, the word for speak, there's something there he wants to tell us. And of course, it's pretty clear when we think about it, where was it when God spoke from the top of Mount Sinai? Where were the people? They were in the wilderness. You know, all of us go through a wilderness experience. It is not optional. We are ordained by God as we move from slavery to sin and from fear of death. And as we move into the life of fruitfulness and purpose, God makes us take a detour through the wilderness. When the Israelites left Egypt, the logical way for them to get to Cana was just to move north and just move around the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and they step across the border between Egypt and Canaan. There they are. Boom. You're, you're there. But God's ways are not man's ways. And God took them on a detour. Instead of just taking them north right into the land of Israel, he took them on further east, took them into the wilderness, and he took them to a mountain, took them a place of great desolation, a place of danger. But he wanted to be alone with his people. And it was there in the wilderness that he spoke to them from Mount Sinai. There's a time as we grow in Messiah, as we grow in obedience to God, God wants to spend time speaking his word into our lives. So we will encounter his devar while we are in the midbar. And there are times in, throughout our lives where we have to revisit the wilderness. God has a wilderness experience attached to so many things, so many endeavors that we, we encounter in life. And there's an interesting statement in the Midrash Rabbah. The Midrash Rabbah. Now, what does that mean? The Midrash Rabbah, uh, as my friend Daniel Lancaster likes to call it, is the ancient Bible studies. And it is published in various versions. And it, uh, fortunately, we uh, have these in English today. This is the virgin, uh, virgin, the version that is published by Art Scroll Publishers. And this is one volume of just the book of Numbers. There are three volumes just on Numbers, uh, or I should say Bamidbar, and this is the first of three volumes. 
So the whole set for the Torah is about uh, 12 or 13 volumes in all. But there's a fascinating phrase in the commentary, the study here on the book of Bamidbar. And it says this, the Torah was given through three things, fire, water, and wilderness. And then it goes on to explain. I didn't put the whole quote here. But it was given the presence of fire because when God spoke, there was fire on top of the mountain. It was given in the presence of water because, as it says later on in the book of uh, Judges, Judges 5 verse 4 says, Adonai, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dripped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. And this is describing the experience as they came to Mount Sinai. So you have fire and water. By the way, whenever you see fire and water dwelling together in peace, God's presence is there. That's something we'll talk about at a later date. But also in the wilderness. There was fire, there was water, they were in the wilderness. The Midrash Rabbah goes on to explain why these three things. The Torah is given the presence of these three things, it says, because they are all free to everyone. Fire does not cost you anything. You can make it yourself. Water doesn't cost you anything. When it rains or you go to the river or the beach or the spring, water is there. It's free for everyone. And the wilderness, it's also free for everyone. And likewise, the words of Torah, God says, are free for everyone. Whosoever is thirsty, let him come and drink. So this is an amazing insight to me. So the word of God, his devar, was given in the Midbar. Now, as I said, the shortcut from Egypt to Canaan is just to go north, but God took them on this long detour. He took them to Mount Sinai. They spent about a year there. God gave them uh, his, his commandments, um, he gave them instructions for building the tabernacle, and they spent that year building the tabernacle, and they completed the work. And then, early in Deuteronomy, it tells us it was only an 11-day journey. I get that. 11 days from Mount Sinai to the Jordan River. 11 days, less than two weeks. But because of their cowardness, cowardliness and their, their faithlessness, they stretch those 11 days into 40 years. Now, you can't speed up your wilderness experience, and you can't avoid the wilderness experience, but you certainly can make it a lot longer than it needs to be. Its duration, to a great degree, depends upon you and me. And what was the purpose of the wilderness? Well, first of all, as we mentioned, it was a place where God gave them His Word. It's when you're alone with God, maybe going through a difficult time, a sterile, kind of a uh, depressing, dry time in your life where the Word of God just springs to life. And it's a gift from God, a time for you to really delve into His Word and get to know Him through it. It's also a time of testing. None of us avoid testing. Everything in life is a test in one way or the other. Everything's a test. It's also a place of death. That older generation that came out of Egypt, those who are over 20 years of age, they died in the wilderness. 
There were hundreds of burials every day during those 40 years. And there are parts of us that come out of Egypt that still need to die. Though God brings us out of Egypt, it takes a while to get Egypt out of us. Though he had taken them away from Pharaoh, there was still an inner Pharaoh speaking to their hearts and minds that was always wanting to draw them back to Egypt, to go back to the security of slavery and the predictable life of Egypt. There are things in us that need to die. And Paul talks about this need for us to die um, consistently in his letters and his writings. So death is not something we need to fear at all. In fact, what did the master say? If any man would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily. What's the cross for? It's an instrument of death. And then we follow him. We have to learn to say no to our own ways and yes to his. And every time we do that, we die a little bit more to ourselves, but we come more alive to him. And that's definitely worth the trade. It's also a place of growth. While the older generation was dying, that younger generation, 20 years and under, they were growing up. They were having children. And a new generation arose uh, up to replace the old ones, the older ones who died. And so there's a time of new life. And the wilderness is a place where the new life begins to grow and replace the old. It's also a place for learning warfare. They learned some warfare when they battled the Amalekites there in Exodus. They learned warfare as they came up to the uh, Jordan River and they defeated Sihon and Og, these two amazing armies, these two giants of warfare, and they defeated them both. That's another topic we will uh, cover in a future teaching but they learned warfare. God's word is called a sword. The sword of the spirit is what Paul calls it. And what's interesting is though God gave his word, his Torah at Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai has another name, Mount Horeb, as our English translations render it. But in Hebrew, it's Mount Chorev, Mount Chorev. And Chorev has two meanings. First of all, it's Horeb. It's the mountain where God gave his Torah. But the word itself means sword. So God gave his Devar on Mount Sword. He gave his word on Mount Sword. No coincidence there. And we need to learn how to do spiritual warfare. We need to learn how to use our sword, the word of God. Because the word of God is dangerous. And if we're not careful, we will harm ourselves and we will harm our brothers and sisters if we do not use it skillfully. And too often, I find that believers and faith communities use God's word against one another instead of against their enemy. This is a, a sad thing to behold because a sword will cut just as easily whether it's friendly troops or enemy troops. We need to learn how to apply it. We need to learn how to use it. Because once the people crossed the Jordan River into Canaan, it was constant warfare as they conquered the land. 
And so in the wilderness is, learn, is where we learn how to wage that warfare skillfully using the Word of God. So, the title of this teaching is False Wilderness. Where did I get that? Well, what we've learned about the word devar and how it's there uh, in the word midbar, wilderness, we come to this verse, Exodus 23, 7. And this is how it's translated, from a false word, distance yourself. Some translations say just distance yourself from falsehood. Good advice, definitely good advice, because we are surrounded and fed falsehoods in the way of TV shows and movies and books and commercials and news. And we should try to, to, to distance ourselves from falsehoods, from things that are deceiving things that will rob us of truth and of joy. Now, from a false word, distance yourself, those six words in English, um, there are only three words in Hebrew to represent them. Here they are. Midvar sheker tirchok. Tirchok means distance yourself. Sheker the middle word is the word for a falsehood, a lie. But look at that first word. Do you recognize it? Mem, Dalit, Beit, Resh. Now, if we slice it between the first two letters, you have from a word. When you add a mem to the front of a word, it means from from a word. And of course, when you read the sentence, you understand it's talking about distancing ourselves from a false word, a devar that is sheker, that is false. But you know, in a Torah scroll, there are no vowel points. There's no punctuation. All you see are just the bare letters like you see here. And if you glance down at a Torah scroll, you see this first word. The first thing that's going to go through your mind, midbar, wilderness. Then you see sheker, false wilderness. Oh, it must mean from a word that is false. So you're think, you're, I'm sure you're thinking now, well, Grant, you're really making a lot out of how this could be misinterpreted at first as a, a false wilderness and how we should distance ourselves from a false wilderness. But we all know that is not what the verse really means. And of course, that's not exactly what the verse means. But I want to share something with you. I want you to see something here. When you glance down at that Torah scroll, the first word you see, you're going to translate as midbar, wilderness. And the next one only has one meaning, sheker, false. And in that split second before you correct yourself and realize, oh, from a false word, you have this image of a false wilderness. Did you ever make sparks by striking a piece of steel against a piece of flint, and you get sparks. This is how in pioneer days they would start a fire, get some kindling and make some sparks. And, and even now, if you're in survival classes, you'll learn how to do that. Well, there's something that happens when the light of your own mind strikes upon the words of the Hebrew scriptures, and then those brief moments, sparks fly off like this one, false wilderness. Then you say, oh, that's just a spark. That's not the main message. But the rabbis take these sparks. They take these insights of how words can mean other things. 
And from those, they draw truths. And with this spark, there is a deep truth there for us. Because you see, our wilderness experience is very real. And as we saw, it is a place where God deals with us by giving us his word, by testing us, by allowing and, and causing those parts of us that are wrong and, and need to be destroyed, where they die and where the new life he breathes into us matures and grows up and takes over. And it's a time for learning warfare. But I've met people, I'm sure you have too, who claim to be going through a wilderness experience, but it's not the wilderness experience God ordained. They'll claim to go through some suffering and dying to self, and they'll even boast about it, not realizing that their boasting is one of those things that needs to die. They may learn some new theology and then begin to think, oh, I'm really growing, I'm really maturing. No, not necessarily. Satan has perfect theology, but he's still Satan. C.S. Lewis said, educate a devil and all you get is a clever devil. Your theology doesn't necessarily change your character. And we can go through all these things and, and think that we're in a wilderness, that we're growing, that we're dying to self, that we're learning spiritual warfare, and that we're, we're growing spiritually, and it's just all in our heads. It's not real. It's a fake. We're not really in the ordained wilderness that God has ordained for us. We're just imagining that we are. And if we're just imagining that we are, we're probably still back in Egypt, probably still in slavery. And... We're just imagining a false wilderness. The wilderness also is a place of great miracles. Every day they drank water that flowed from a rock. They ate manna that just fell from heaven and appeared on the ground. Every day there was a, a protective cloud over them during the, the, the heat of the day and there was a column of fire over them at night to give light. They saw many miracles in the wilderness. But some people are in a false wilderness where they claim there are all kinds of miracles in their lives that really aren't. Some of these may be just normal, everyday activities that God ordains for us to go through. And then sometimes they just make it up. One of the things I despise is when I in uh, with a group of believers and one begins to tell of a spiritual experience and then another one has to share his spiritual experience and one up the first guy then a third guy will pop up and well this is what happened to me and I'm thinking this is all false wilderness all these so-called miracles we don't boast about miracles we don't boast about our experiences we boast in our God and his patient daily watch care over us so I'm going to leave you there with that. And just as I've been talking, is there something in your own heart and mind that prompts you to think that, hmm, maybe I've experienced some false wilderness? And if you are, it's because you're avoiding the real one. 
The real wilderness involves real pain, and that's okay. Growing up is a painful thing. Dying is a painful thing. And sometimes having to learn God's Word and internalize it can be delightful, but painful as well. Because we are, after all, dealing with a sharp two-edged sword, a living sword that cuts. It cuts deeply, dividing between the soul and the spirit, Hebrew says. Between the, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And as God's sword cuts through us and exposes what's there, it can be painful to see what we're made of. But until we are, we can't really correct it, can we? So make sure if you're going through wilderness, it's a true wilderness, a midbar emmet, a true one, not a, a midbar shekher. So that's just a spark that flies off of the verse when you first glance down at it in Hebrew. And of course, it is not the literal translation of the verse. Please don't think it is. But constantly the rabbis are seeing these sparks and they share them. And there's delight. It's almost as if we have God as our, as our, uh, our playmate, as he, as he enjoys showing us these multiple dimensions of his holy word, his incredible and amazing Torah. So, um, you may want to go back and start this over again and pick up those early words and follow along with the notes to make sure you haven't missed anything. But the most important thing is just to make sure you do not find yourself in a false wilderness because we don't have time to waste. God's calling us to go through the true one so he can make the changes in us that need to be made so he can make us the people he wants us to be. So be blessed and uh, I say shalom until next time.